It's my privilege to do a reading this morning. And it's in Romans um, chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. If anyone wants Bibles, they're up the back there. That'll be on page 1133 of the Church Bible. Okay, so it's the present suffering and future glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have been, who have the first fruits of the spirits groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, if you're visiting here this morning, my name's Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we've been working through our survey series this time of year. Every year we ask a question uh, to the people that we know. And this year our question was, how would you fix the world? And this morning we're looking at our last answer to that question. Uh, that is, the world can't be fixed. But before we look at that, uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we live in a really broken world and that is maybe this week more evident to us than it has been for some time. And Lord, uh, it's hard for us to know what the answer is uh, and many people have many proposed solutions. But Lord, we ask that as we think about your word now that you would teach us uh, what it is that you think about this world what you want us to understand about it and what plan you have for fixing it. Lord, to understand those things and to grasp them, we need your spirit to be at work in these words. And so we ask for your incredible grace and mercy that we don't deserve through your spirit. Uh, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Not so long ago, I bought a new pair of sunglasses. I'd had a, a cheaper pair of sunglasses, and I thought, no, they've worn out too quickly. Perhaps I'll try, uh, try something that uh, is a bit more robust. I'll, I'll get something a little bit, bit fancier. I bought a uh, pair of sunglasses that were on sale, uh, and they were going well until maybe a couple of months ago. And I got out of my car, and on the side of my garage where the driver's door is, there's a brick wall. Uh, and 
I'd put the sunglasses up on my head and then I don't know, I don't know what happened, but somehow my head brushed the brick wall and scratched the lens of the sunglasses. And I thought, oh, great. I thought, I don't know, may, maybe there's something I can do. I thought, I'll Google fixing scratches in sunglasses. I Googled fixing scratches in sunglasses. I tried everything that they suggested, and I think it just made it ten times worse. And I thought, maybe I can live with the scratch in my sunglasses. But every time I put them on, it was like there was something kind of in the corner of my eye that I kept trying to get away. Uh, in the end, I, there was nothing I could do. Uh, the sunglasses couldn't be fixed. And of course, doing that to a pair of sunglasses is frustrating. Not being able to... Ruining them and then not being able to fix them is frustrating. But it's not the worst thing in the world that can happen. Uh, the thing is, that kind of experience is not limited to pairs of sunglasses. In fact, it's really the ongoing experience of our lives, isn't it? That there are things in our world that are broken, things in our lives that are broken, and we can try the different remedies that people suggest, but no matter what we do, it just doesn't seem to fix it. In the first week of our survey series, we looked at fixing society, and we heard some of the words from Martin Luther King's famous speech, his I Have a Dream speech. We heard how he had a dream of a United States without racism. His dream came 100 years after the Emancipation Act by Abraham Lincoln, but 100 years after that, there was still endemic racism in the United States, and 60 years after Martin, Luther's, Martin Luther King's speech on that day, there is still endemic racism in that country and indeed in the world. He had a dream, but it's a dream that hasn't been realised. And in the same way, we strive as human beings all the time for a better world, a world without poverty, a world without AIDS, a world where everyone has access to the basic necessities of life, clean drinking water, a world without war, a world without catastrophic climate change. We've had thousands of years to get the world right, and every week someone comes out with a new plan of what we can do to fix the world, but none of the plans ever seem to work. Many of us have seen, and Jason's already alluded to, the situation in Ukraine. I spoke to a friend of mine who lives in Germany this week on the day that Ukraine invaded. Very sobered by what had happened. Very, very hauntingly similar to events from the 1930s and 40s. Our world is broken and we seem unable to fix it. And maybe your life feels a bit like that too. It's not just the things that are going on on the global stage, it's the things that are going on day to day that nobody else maybe much sees. There are things in your life that have been that way for years and you just can't fix them. Maybe it's your body. Your body just doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Maybe it's your mind. 
Maybe you struggle with depression or anxiety or bipolar or trauma. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken and you've tried all the things that you can to fix it up and nothing seems to work. Like Humpty Dumpty, all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put us and our world back together again. And certainly that's what a lot of people said as we asked this question, how would you fix the world? By far, the most number of people said it can't be fixed. That's a bit of a change from when we asked this question the first time. When we asked this question the first time, people gave other answers. Fixing people, for example. This time, the pessimism in people had grown. I asked my neighbour this question. That was what he said. The world can't be fixed. It's too far gone. Well, that's what we're thinking about today. Is the world too far gone? Can it be fixed? And we're looking at what God has to say about that. And we're doing that from the passage that Jeff read for us from this book of Romans, this letter that was written by one of the early Christian leaders by a man named Paul to a group of Christians living in the world capital of the time, that is, living in Rome. And what's interesting as Paul writes that letter and as he writes these words to these Christians, what's interesting is that he agrees with this kind of pessimistic view of a broken world. He writes there in verse 20, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. The world is frustrated. The Bible says it's in bondage to decay. It's locked up in decay. It's imprisoned in decay and no one can break it out of that prison. Verse 22 says that the whole world groans, longing to be released from its present misery. It's such a an emotive word, isn't it? It groans, the world sighs. It's this image of the earth letting out this... Oh. And as we look at the world, we look at creation, as we look at people, as we look at nations, we hear and feel that groan, don't we? We see it in the tsunami. Only a few weeks ago that devastated Tonga. I read an article this week and one of the comments from one of the people living in Tonga was, it's a bit easier to breathe. We've seen it this week with Vladimir Putin besieging Ukraine. We've seen it in the last few days. 500 millimetres falling in Queens, parts of Queensland since Thursday. We continue to hear the daily reports of COVID case numbers. Here in Tasmania, just as they were going down, they've started to go up again. It's not hard for us to see that the world is frustrated, in bondage to decay and groaning under the weight of it. But what's really a bit confronting and a bit surprising in this passage is 
that this bondage and frustration is not an accident. It's actually on purpose. God has done it. Verse 20 says, The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Whose will is that? Who is the one who subjected it to frustration? The one who subjected it, the Bible tells us, is God himself. And I understand that we need to take a step back. It's a big idea and understand that we need to take a step back and work out what's going on. The first three chapters of the Bible tell the tale of what's happened to our world. They explain what's going on. If you've never read them before, you might like to do that. It's only three chapters, the first few pages of the Bible. You can read them at home. But let me summarise what happens there. First of all, in those pages, we discover that God made the world. And the world that God made was good. It was very good. There was no misery. There was no hardship. There was no family breakdown. There was no disease. There was no war. There was no death. There was no natural disasters. In other words, the broken world that we see today, that you and I experience, does not reflect the world that God made. God made a good world. Second of all, in those first few pages of the Bible, we see that God made us as human beings, all of us, to care for his creation and to rule over his world, but to rule over the world under God. We were made to be in a relationship with God and to rule over his world in his way under him. We were made to cultivate the world and to develop it for God's glory, to enjoy it. But third, human beings, instead of ruling the world and caring for the world under God, we decided to rule over God's world in our own way. We didn't need God anymore. We decided that we would take control of it, take control of our own lives, take control of our own destinies, pursue our own dreams for our own ends. And at that point, something terrible happened. That is, God cursed the world. God did what we read about in Romans chapter 8. God subjected the world to frustration and set it in bondage to decay. Work became hard. Death and sorrow and misery entered into the world. Not, just as a, as a, not simply as a punishment, but as a result of our alienation, of our rejection of God. We ought not to think of God as some kind of grumpy old man uh, who just wanted to make life difficult, who just wanted to spite us. Rather, what God has done is given us a taste of what we wanted. All the good in our world comes from God. He's the source of life and everything good, and yet we've pushed him out. You can't push away the source of life and everything good and expect what's left to be good. We've wanted to rule the world in our own way without God and God has let us see, if you like, the results of that. It's a bit like complaining, always complaining about the government. Imagine that people in our world did that. Imagine that you did that, that you complained about the government. 
But imagine that one day the government said, all right, fine. You don't want a government? We'll just pack up our bags and go home. They closed down Parliament, federal, state, councils, close them down, pack up shop, go home. What would happen? Well, the roads would keep falling apart. No one would be there to fix them. The hospitals that the governments run would close because there wouldn't be enough money to pay for any medical supplies. You think things are bad now? It would be even worse. Imagine then if having gotten rid of the government, you then complained that the government wasn't doing its job in looking after the world. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, we don't like the way that you're ruling this, and then complain when they don't do a good job. And it's the same with God. We can't say to God, we don't want you in our lives, we don't want you in our world, we don't want you telling us what to do, we don't want to live, live according to your ways, we want to do our own thing. You can't say that on the one hand and then complain that God has made is not living up to his end of the bargain. We've pushed God out of the world, the source of life, the source of all that's good. And yet we puzzle over why the world is in bondage to decay. God has done it in order that we would see our need of him. Can we fix the world? No, the answer is we can't fix it. We can't fix the world because the problem with the world is that we've tried to take things into our own hands and we've pushed God out. The only person who can fix the world is God. It's his world. He's made it. He's subjected it to frustration. He's put it in bondage to decay. And he's the only one who can put it back together again. The only hope that we have is to go back to God and ask him to fix his world. So the world is subjected to frustration. The Bible tells us that. It's in bondage to decay. God has done it. But God has also given an incredible promise of hope. Uh, and we see that here in these verses as well. Going back to verse 20 again, it says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who said, subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It was subjected, but in hope, in hope of restoration, in hope of deliverance, in hope of freedom and glory. We as human beings have brought misery on the world. We bring misery on each other. But even in the midst of that, God has promised to put the world right. And his promise involves three things. First, it involves restoring the created world. We're told in verse 21, the creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. God's going to undo it all. It's going to be liberated. The world will be liberated. The world liberated from pollution. Imagine that. We have these clean-up days. I don't know if we still do them anymore, but in the 80s, the 90s, Clean Up Australia Day. 
It was on the television. There's ads all the time uh, when it was on. And people would band together and pick up all the rubbish on the beaches along the shoreline. I was living in Sydney at the time. It was filthy. They would go. They would pick everything up. They would, they would clean it up. But what would happen? <laughs> It'd be there again in a few days. A world without pollution. A world without global warming. <laughs> Whoever's fault it is. A world without earthquakes or tsunamis or floods or storms or droughts or death or decay. We spend countless amounts of money every year trying to fix the world. We spend billions of dollars. And as individuals, we spend trying to fix ourselves and our lives. You think you've fixed everything and suddenly you discover another problem. You finish repainting the house only to discover that it started to fall apart again. I remember when I, used to, when I was in my last few years of university in Sydney, my, my sister and I would drive in every day. We'd drive in every day across the Harbour Bridge. And every day you'd see the men on the bridge painting the bridge. Apparently they start at the beginning of the bridge one year and they finish at the end, at the end of the year, at the, finish the bridge, and then they start again. That's what life feels like, isn't it? But God promises to liberate the world from its bondage to decay. We can patch things up, but we can't make things new, and we certainly can't make things that won't break down again. So God's plan is to to liberate the world from decay. Second, God's plan to put the world right involves restoring us. That involves physical restoration and renewal. Paul says that for those who trust in Jesus, there's hope for restoration and rescue, not just of our souls, but of our bodies. What God promises is not heaven floating around on a cloud. Uh, God doesn't promise to destroy the world so that we become disembodied playing harps. Uh, rather, God promises to put the world right, to renew his creation so that we can live in that world. And to do that, he has to make our bodies new as well. There are some people in our church who have had joint replacements uh, surgery. Uh, so maybe a hip has worn out and they've had to get a new hip or... I don't know what else you get replaced. Elbows, knees. Thanks, Matt. But you, you get a new joint. Those people who've had those new joints will tell you that those joints come with a lifetime. Not a lifetime guarantee, but a period for which they're good. You go through this turmoil to get this new joint, and maybe after... 20 years, it has to be replaced again. It's worn out. We can replace the hip, but we can't stop the decay. It's true of our bodies. But God's plan is to set that right. God's plan is that those who entrust themselves to him will get a new body that doesn't wear out. And not through a painful operation, not through going under the knife, but by being remade in the image of Jesus. 
God demonstrated that promise when Jesus himself was raised from the dead. His body was made new. Paul says in verse 28, We know, and we know that in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The Bible calls Jesus the firstborn because he's the prototype, the forerunner. He shows us what we who trust in him will be. God says that we will be conformed to his likeness. And that's not just a physical reality. We'll have a new body like Jesus did, a body which is not subject to death and decay, a body which, which, in which lives the power of resurrection. It's not just a physical thing being conformed to Jesus' likeness. It's a spiritual one as well. God doesn't just want to rid us of our health problems. He wants to rid us of everything in us which is wrong, which is in rebellion against him. He wants to rid us of the things that cause wars. His plan is to end selfishness and hatred and bitterness and lust and envy and greed and immorality and unkindness. Imagine a world without greed. It's almost, it's almost impossible to imagine, isn't it? Imagine a world where somebody else buys something that's really beautiful and you just think, what a great blessing from God. Imagine a world without abuse. A world without violence. A world where... Women didn't need to walk, worry getting out of their car late at night or walking down the street. Imagine a world without relationship breakdowns where you didn't worry that maybe one day you would come home and one of your parents wasn't there anymore. We try so hard to create a world like that, but we can't do it. But God promises that he can and that he will. We've seen that in Jesus. He's the template. Imagine a world where everyone was like him. God's plan is to remake not just the world around us, but to remake us as well for those who put their trust in Jesus. God's plan is to remake the world, to remake us. And third, God's plan to, to make the world right involves adopting us as his children. So Paul says in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan, the world groans, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. The centerpiece of God's plan is to make us his children. You might think, that's an odd promise. You know, I can, I can get a world made right, I can get a body put right, but why being adopted into a family? I've already got a family. I'm pretty happy with my family. 
Why is adoption at the centre of God's plan for rescuing us? The reason is that all those other blessings flow out of it. When I was growing up, my parents owned a house. You'll be happy to know that they owned a house. Oh, well, the bank owned the house for most of my childhood. But the bank let us live in it. My parents owned a house. But because my parents owned a house, I got to live in the house as well. The house belonged to them. But because I was their child, in some sense, it belonged to me. I had a room where I could keep my things. The food that the family that belonged to the family was mine to share as well. I didn't have to go out to work every day and earn the food and make it for myself. No, I was part of the family and so what belonged to the family belonged to me as well. Once I was old enough, I even got a key. In the same way, this world belongs to God. We think this world belongs to us. We make that mistake and think that the world primarily belongs to us, but it doesn't. It belongs to God. And the recreated, restored, renewed world that God is bringing about in Jesus, that belongs to God as well. But it also belongs to God's family, to God's children. It belongs to Jesus God's one and only son, his perfect son, but it also belongs to God's adopted children, his children who are adopted into the family through faith in Jesus Christ. What needs to be fixed first and foremost in our world is our relationship with God. We need to move from being God's enemies, under the curse of God's wrath, we need to move from being God's enemies to being God's children. And that's not something that you and I can do. We can't make ourselves part of the family. We need God to do that, to adopt us. And that's what God has done. But it's come at a huge price. It's cost God his perfect son. Verse 31, Paul says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul says, What can we possibly say? There are no words that are enough. To express our wonder at what God has done. And Paul says, if God has already gone to such great lengths to make things right between him and us, who's going to spoil that? Who's going to wreck the plan? I make plans every day and most of them don't come off. But God makes a plan and he keeps it. He sent his own son. If God won't spoil it, who can? Will death spoil it? No. Jesus has conquered that. Will angels or demons? The 
powers of the world? No. They're no match for God. Or height or depth? No. God can scale the highest height and he can plumb the deepest depth. Is there anything in all creation that can stop God from completing his plan, that can keep us from God? The Bible says no. If we belong to Jesus through faith in him, through trusting him, then nothing can separate us from the love of God. We don't need reminding that the world is broken. But we do need reminding that God can fix it. As troops roll into Ukraine, as COVID continues its unpredictable journey, as we ourselves continue in all our brokenness, we can see the problem. But we need constantly to be reminded of the solution. And the solution is not in any of us. It's not in the UN. It's not in a better government. It's not in a worldwide movement. The solution is in the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in him. God can fix the world. He has and is doing that in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, it's not hard to be overwhelmed and, to be honest, pretty worn out uh, by the brokenness of our world. Lord, whether that's the things that we see on TV that berate us, the news notifications that ping on our phones of a new unfolding catastrophe, Lord, whether it's those things or indeed simply the brokenness of our own lives, of our own relationships, of our workplaces, of our families, of our bodies. Uh, Lord, whatever it is, it's not hard for us to be overwhelmed by that. But Lord, we thank you that in your power, those things are no match uh, for your great plan and purpose in Jesus Lord, if you've given us the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, uh, what can stand against us? Death. Angels or demons? Height or depth? Anything in all creation? No. Your power will reign supreme. Lord, please bolster us with that great confidence. And Lord, fill our hearts with great joy. What can we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.